Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Hi, everybody. This is Joe Moss, and welcome to this week's edition of On the Money, the number one small business show on Business Radio X. At it, on any given show, at uh, as few as 80,000 listeners and as many as 400,000 listeners. So we're doing pretty good here on the money. After three months. Just, after, just want to clarify. After three months. Yeah, not the live show, typically, but uh, your podcast is very popular. Yes. And by the way, that was uh, Mr. Mike Salmon, our producer. Welcome back from Rio. I'm, I'm here. And if I start talking Portuguese, just remind me that I'm back home. And how was it? Uh, it was good. They worked really hard covering the games. Um, to be honest with you, I think Brazil needed another three to six months to get ready for the games behind the scenes. But as far as all the events, everything went off. If, if, if you avoid the green water, the divers had to go into. Everything seemed to go very smoothly. And the mosquitoes? Not were, an issue. Not an issue. Never. Okay, I good. knew it wasn't going to be. Well, I got all over the professional golfers for wimping out of that. And um, hopefully they won't ever do it. But anyway, let's get on to the show. The show is presented by Embassy National Bank. We are a national chartered financial institution, and our deposits are insured by the FDIC. On this show, we discuss topics designed to help small business succeed because at Embassy National Bank, uh, we're proud of how we help small business. I'm Joe Moss, your host and president, Embassy National Bank. We welcome you to the Subaru of Gwinnett studio. Today, we're going to be talking about franchising, and uh, we have an expert to help us through that topic, uh, Mr. Steve Miller. Hey, Steve, how are you? Doing well, Joe. Thanks for having me on the show this afternoon. Um, Steve is not the rock and roller, but uh, but that's okay. Um, we want to talk about franchising today. So, Steve, talk about your company and your background. My background is I came up through corporate America for the first 12 years of my career. I was in healthcare, so I worked for companies like Baxter Travenall, Adolph Coors Company, Division of Norrell Healthcare here in Atlanta, and uh, did well. In fact, the last... Uh, Six years of my career with two different companies, I was promoted five times, finally to a director level. And the things that I got both times was I got fired. They sold the divisions I was with with both companies. So in 1992, I started up a company, medical product distribution company. I ran that for eight years, and I sold that to a public traded company in 2000. And then I found a business that intrigued me. Uh, it was completely unrelated to anything I had done before, and it happened to be a franchise. Not in the traditional sense that you might think of fast food or retail, but restoration services for insurance companies. And bought the Atlanta market with a business partner in uh, 03, ran that for seven years with him, and then I sold my share to him about six years ago. And now I do consulting or, or coaching. I work with clients who are interested in going into a business of their own, franchise or otherwise. The company that I'm a, actually a franchisee of is called The Entrepreneur's Source. And I've uh, been in business for 31 years. Mm -hmm. There's 100 coaches like me around the country. And we work with clients and advise them and guide them through a process of evaluating, first of all, whether business ownership is a good idea for them, and if so, which one. And um, how do people typically get involved in, in a franchise? Well, it's often by, by uh, necessity, and it's often by trial and error. The necessity is, I think corporations today, and I experienced this in my career, they oftentimes view employees as more of a liability than an asset. 
and they oftentimes want to have a flexible workforce. So my experience was, you know, we were sold twice and they didn't need redundancy in the employment or the employees. So I lost my job. And I think that's happening oftentimes in corporate America. And uh, 30, roughly 35% of, quote, employees, unquote, are actually contractors. So employers are trying to maintain flexible workforces, and they're also trying to avoid paying benefits, mm -hmm. which are costly. So um, it has really affected greatly the workforce and the loyalty of not just the employer to the employee, but the employer to the employer. So there are a lot of people who are seeking something different. And uh, that's where I come in. I give them a, oftentimes a plan B to a job. Mm -hmm. Or uh, some of my clients who I've placed in businesses have jobs that they've retained and they have this going, a, a, a business in addition to that, where they may devote 10 or 15 hours a week to it, which gives them a hedge, potential income, and a potential for building up equity in a business in addition to their jobs. Well, we see franchising everywhere. Now, I deal with a lot of franchisees in the hotel business. Sure. And um, uh, sometimes that's good, but it's also very controlling. And then on the lower scale, um, I don't know. There seems to be some people don't want to franchise. Other people want to join a franchise. So let's talk about the pluses for a minute. Sure. I've owned two. And in my experience, there are five pluses. And there are two negatives as I've seen them. One is it's the franchise is a proven business model. So the franchise or has not just through best practices and experience proven the model, but they've also recorded it. They've mm -hmm. documented it. Uh, part of what you purchase when you purchase a franchise and you pay a franchise fee is intellectual property. So that's that system. So think of it as a cookbook. I mean, if you, my wife's an incredible cook, mm -hmm. but if you ask me to go to the kitchen and create dinner and you show me everything I need to do it, I'm going to lock up. I don't know what ingredients to use, how much, how to cook it, how long to cook it and so forth. So with a franchise, it's already been done. The recipe's already been baked, if you will. And with the right ingredients and the right times and so forth, it's very, to me, it's reassuring to know that, that someone's proved themselves before by doing it. So that's one of the biggest advantages. In addition to the documentation, they train the franchisees on how to implement that business plan. That's uh, kind of the chef teaching how to cook the recipe. Sure. The, th the fourth advantage is there's brand recognition. So those hotels you mentioned, Marriott, Comfort Inn, Comfort Suites. They have other. their loyalty programs. Exactly. And they have brand awareness. So when you're driving down the interstate and you see a courtyard by Marriott, you're going to be comfortable and familiar with the brand mm -hmm. and have a pretty good idea that it's going to be a quality experience for you. If it happens to be Steve's motel, uh, it may not be so great. Right. So there's, there's some value to that. The, the last uh, advantage that I see that I think is probably the most overlooked is the network of other owners. So as a coach, uh, I acquired the franchise about six years ago. I spoke with other franchise owners and then one of the most successful coaches in terms of satisfaction of his clients and so forth was a guy named Bruce up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. So I went up and visited him and I said, Bruce, um, I'm interested in doing this, but for me to move forward, I want someone to mentor me. I want to be mentored by the best. I want you to mentor me. Now he was a franchisee. Mm -hmm. Okay. He was, and he had seven years of experience before I joined the company. 
And he agreed to do that. It's a very collegial, fraternal experience when you're part of a franchise organization. You're in business, but you're not in business by yourself. Mm -hmm. So he mentored me. Well, for many years, Bruce was franchisee of the year with the Entrepreneur Source. Last year, I was the entrepreneur. Uh, I was the franchisee of the year because a lot had to do with Bruce's mentoring me. Hmm. What I don't like is I have to sign a franchise agreement that was written by the attorney of the franchisor. And my experience was I've signed two. They got put in a file drawer and they won't be pulled out unless I get stupid or greedy right. until the 10-year renewal of my agreement when I have the option of renewing. So I understand the purpose of them. It's really to set the expectations of both parties of what's required of each. Some of them are written one-sided. There are 4,000 franchises. And some of them are indeed written one-sided. But my experience has been that mine have not been. Right. Number two, I don't like paying a royalty. It's like paying taxes. No one wants to pay taxes. However, with a royalty, I don't view it as a tax. I view it as an investment. So I can determine before I acquire the business whether that royalty is justified or not. And I can make, it's a voluntary tax. I can make the decision whether I find, sign the agreement, move forward with the franchise and pay the royalties or not. But it's very transparent how I can determine that. A lot of questions. Um, their franchises are regulated by the FTC. Is that correct? The acquisition of the franchise is regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. Okay. So the FTC requires that before a franchisor can become a franchisor, they have to go through a background check. Okay. After they've gone through the background check, the uh, FTC requires the franchisor from that point and every year thereafter to submit a franchise disclosure document, otherwise known as an FDD. The FDD has 23 items in it. FDE. FDD. D, okay. A franchise disclosure document. The FDD has 23 items that they're required to disclose. Some of the highlights of the 23 is, first is the background information on the franchise or themselves and their experience in, their, in the industry. Uh, the second is their most recently audited financial statements. It's important that before someone invests in a franchise, that they know that the company behind that is solid financial. The franchisor. The franchisor, exactly, is solid financial. Audited financial. Yes. Okay. The third, a third uh, aspect of it uh, is a disclosure of any litigation that the franchisor is or has been involved with in the previous three years. Number The fourth item is the franchise agreement mm -hmm. that one would end up signing has to be included in the FDD. And, uh, and one of the most beneficial parts is that the the back of the agreement, there's an addendum that lists all franchise owners, past and present, with name, address, and phone number. Success and failure? Yes. Okay. And Do they have to calculate a default rate? They don't calculate a default rate, but they disclose those who have not, who are no longer active. Okay. And there is a, there, you know, franchises are ultimately awarded, but there is a selling aspect that goes to them. So the representative of the franchise organization is going to steer oftentimes a prospective franchisee toward the franchisees that have been successful. But I advise my clients, okay, talk with them because you want to learn best practices and whether you can replicate those in talk your market. Talk to the ones that failed. But talk to some of the ones that may have failed and find out why. You might assume that they're going to say, well, the franchisor is a bum. They did nothing for me. And some feel that way. But a lot will either take the responsibility themselves or shared responsibility. Mm -hmm. It might be the business just isn't the right fit for them, and they don't understand that really until they get into it, and then they learn that. But just like any other business, if they get into it, 
and they're not succeeding in it, they can sell it. It's not like they have to wait for five so, or 10 years. So when you contact a franchisor, you should add, this is a publicly available document that they have to provide. They do. And they have, you know, you cannot sign a franchise agreement for at least 14 days after one has received it Okay, to give them really a chance to digest it, read it, understand it, potentially seek counsel to review it with them. And obviously there are some good ones obviously, and not so good ones. Give me some uh, sources other than that franchise agreement that would compile the better franchises. Well, there's a, there are a lot of websites out there that are aggregators and they will list you know, the, the top 10 franchises or the best potential franchises. There's no organization uh, with little, there, there's a couple of publications that attempt to rank them. Like Forbes has one right. entrepreneur magazine has one. You want one. someone independent ranking it all, right? Yes. But even sometimes those rankings are they're, they're overlooking options that may be viable for them. So I think that the, the, the most viable way is to do one's own diligence, but I coach, so I, I'm very objective about it. We represent about 180 franchise organizations. Right. There are 4,000 out there. Wow. And I it, thought the number would be more than that. 4,000 options. Okay. It, it, there's between four, four and 5,000. I try to use the low end of it because okay. I don't really, the, even the International uh, Franchise Association doesn't publish the exact number, but it's in that range. So you go to an aggregator website. I won't name names, but they're out there all over the place. And someone submits information to a franchise or for a franchise that they're interested in, say it's a comfort in or something like that. That information then goes to the franchise or, and they have limited, typically limited staff who don't really have the ability to vet every application or every inquiry that comes in. Chick-fil-A, for example, 22,000 inquiries a year, and they award about 75 franchises. And of those 75 that they award, probably two-thirds are from people already inside the organization. I was going to say, they're very picky about who they award. Absolutely. And you really don't own that business. You you actually are, have a some type of a bonus, I think, based on performance. You're an operator of a Chick-fil-A. Yeah. So the, it costs around about, about $10,000 for the operator's investment, so they do have some skin in the game. But all the build-out, everything is done by Chick-fil-A. Right. And a friend of mine operates one near our home. And he's getting probably within 10 years of retirement. And I said, David, what, what happens? He said, put the keys on the counter and I walk. Hmm. There's no equity in those. They, make, they potentially make a lot of money, but there's no equity. He has to save his money while he's operating from his income to be able to retire, unlike having an equity uh, play. All right. You're listening to Steve Miller. Um, he is the president of the Entrepreneur Source here in Alpharetta. And uh, we're talking about franchising, and Steve has been on both sides of the franchise um, and uh, counsels people now on, on how to get involved uh, in a franchise. We're having a real good conversation. Um, now, I do know that SBA has a uh, default list out there. I don't know if the public can get a hold of that default list, but we as bankers use that, and it'll show us across all the various uh, NAICS codes, which are industry codes, the default rate in terms of the various uh, franchises. And um, it, uh, it, it really helps us to find out which are the good ones and which aren't. I would agree with that. I don't know whether that's available to the public or not. I know there are websites that have published that, 
but I don't if I don't know exactly where to obtain it if you, if it is public. I would assume that it is. Okay. It's valuable information. The SBA registry is public domain and that lists the franchise ORs that are basically pre-approved for SBA loans. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people think it's a very difficult task to get an SBA loan. And for an independent business, it can be. Yeah. They have to write a business plan, financials, and so forth. And it can be a big it can be a big job and can take months to put that together. With the SBA registry, the franchises have already been through that process. Yeah, we don't have to as long as it's on that list, we right. don't have to go through the process of getting that franchise or approved by the SBA. Correct. And they have to submit performance with some financial information projections but the whole comprehensive business plan does not have to be submitted so it can fast track this sba express you know the 7a is about 30 to 45 days Mm -hmm. so it's a much quicker process than it would be otherwise well just as a word of disclosure um it's just not the franchise agreement that has to get underwritten um that certainly helps the process knowing that the franchise agreement has been approved by by SBA. And your bank, I think you told me you're a preferred lender for yes. SBA, which yeah. is, that's the type of banks and institutions that I refer my clients to right. because you know what you're doing. Right. You've done them before. And I would highly recommend you, your bank for that. There are requirements for you to underwrite. You have to have a credit score of typically 680 or greater, no recent bankruptcies. You know, you're, you're going to check out that that uh, potential uh, uh, franchisee yourself because your bank is going to guarantee a portion of that loan. Sure. The, the, the SBA guarantees 80% and you guarantee 20. So you want to make sure you're lending to someone who's going to be able to pay that it's back. It's actually 75, 25 for the loans we deal with. But, is it? Yeah. Unless it's an export business and then we sometimes can get a 90% guarantee. Okay. So excellent. But you're right. We uh, and so we'll underwrite it just like a regular loan, and uh, but we we gain comfort if it's associated with a good franchise. And in your case, and in my case as well, I often have and probably listeners out out here who are listening to say, "Well, I don't, you know, I've got to have for, to to open up a franchise. I have to have a half a million dollars, and I have to have it in my checkbook." And that, nothing could be further from the truth. The with an SBA loan uh, for you know the yes the hundred and fifty thousand dollar loan, they have to have ten percent liquid, but it doesn't even have to be invested necessarily in the business. They just have to show that they have it, in addition to meeting the underwriting criteria. Uh, so that's just one option, and of course the loan amounts can go higher. And, and I often have clients I ask them, what do you think it would cost to go into a franchise? And typically they'll say, oh, it's going to be you know. $300,000 to a million dollars. Nothing, that's not accurate. I have clients, I just talked with one yesterday. He invested $75,000 in a business three years ago and he's doing $1.4 million in revenue mm-hmm. today. That's not a bad investment. Not bad at all at a 50% gross. Well, the franchise fee is usually not the biggest expense. Correct. It's all the business, all the other expenses associated with getting into the business. It is. And in that individual's case, I referred to his business is home based. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have the furniture, fixtures, equipment, lease hold improvements, you know, lease uh, deposits, all those, all those expenses. So that's why his investment is so much less. When you go into a brick and mortar retail, you are going to incur a higher cost because of the furniture, fixtures, equipment, and so forth. And the downside to 
in my view, I, I place very few clients in retail locations. Mm-hmm. I, I probably would say I've, I've placed 70 clients in businesses over the past five and a half years. And I would say less than less than 10% ever signed a lease. And of the ones that signed leases, they weren't retail leases except oh. for one client. The trouble with, with the retail, in my view, is a couple things. One, retail hours are not great. And you're right. working seven days a week and you're dealing with a lot of employees and it's hard to get away from the business. The investment is higher. And if you if you get in the wrong location, you just can't pick it up and move it. You're not, yeah, you're dead. You're stuck. Right. So I like businesses that have a great deal more flexibility and don't require the risk that a lease requires because you're also on the lease if it, if you if the business heaven forbid fails after two years you're on that lease for five years and by the way not only are you on the lease but you're also personally on the hook for any uh tenant improvements that the landlord may have done on your behalf that's right so there's a that's you know i'm not saying i don't ever direct clients to retail but what most people think of franchises being retail and or food, I don't, I just haven't placed. I just don't direct my clients that way. Uh, you know, food is a whole nother challenge. It's, it, it can be very trendy and, and up and down, they're really hot now. And then in two years or three years, the next fad comes along and it's, it becomes antiquated. Yeah. I, we are very, very careful with financing food type businesses. Um, well, it would seem to me that the the entrepreneur spirit is a little bit in contrast to the requirements of owning a franchise. So how do you reconcile all that? Well, I consider myself, and I've been called a serial entrepreneur. I've started four businesses and successfully run all of those. Uh, for me, it's it's it doesn't inhibit me as an entrepreneur. It complements me. I feel like the um, benefits that I receive of being part of a franchise organization far outweigh what limited restrictions I have on myself. So, so for example, in my practice, I'm able to express my creativity in the way I conduct myself in my business mm-hmm. as a coach, as an alternative career coach, because I am a franchisee for the entrepreneur source. Where I wouldn't have the ability to do that would be owning a just going to use a name subway sandwich or for that matter a chick-fil-a right. they have a very it's it's very specific you on a subway you put x number of ounces of meat so many slices of cheese this much lettuce tomato you know it's very very formula formulaic that for someone who, who became a franchisee that was wanting to be creative or an individual that's the wrong business for them to be in right of the businesses that i've been a part of the two that I've been part of as franchises, I've never felt inhibited at all. I felt very supported. Free. I felt supported. Yeah, I, that's not perfect. There have there hasn't been without some bumps in the road, but there's nothing that would cause me to want to throw in the towel and say, you know, forget it. I'm walking away from this thing. That's not been the case at all. Right now, what about someone who has a business and decides, you know what, I'm going to franchise. Uh, have you been involved in any of those discussions? I've been involved in the discussions. I've not been involved in actually uh, bringing someone through that process. So here's the key if there are listeners in, that are interested in doing that. One, remember you've got four to 5,000 franchises that are already out there, and there's, there's likely someone who's already doing that. 
So look at what they're doing and how successful they are with franchising their business. Uh, number two, make certain that you have locations that are already profitable and successful that you can point to. Because when, when someone looks at a franchise, like myself included, any business I invest in that I look at, I want to see if it's, it's, it's going to provide me an ROI, a return on my investment and my time and my money. Sure. So I've got people that I know that they'll, they'll, they'll have one location and it's doing okay. But they say, it's a great idea. Let's franchise it. Well, show me something that, you know, show me, give me something that has five locations at least or more and show me that they've been successful. Then I feel like there's a greater possibility that I can point to someone and say, okay, look at what they've done. But also be, mi be mindful that the, with the regulation, with the requirement of the uh, Federal Trade Commission, the FDD, that's an expensive proposition. I bet it is. Collecting all that data. And it's but then writing the agreement, having designing attorneys, the product, and then having someone to market it. You know the the franchise fee. Part of it is that the franchise fee that one pays is part of it is the intellectual property, but part of it is marketing the marketing costs for getting the word out and having developers who can then sell the franchises. Uh, we are, I'm invested in a company, a coffee, a company, and they are interested in um, uh, opening up retail locations. Mm -hmm. And I advised uh, the president of the company earlier this year. I love the idea of it to, for it to become a franchise, but open a couple first and then prove that they work. And that's what they're doing. They're opening their first location in Atlanta next year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm hopeful that they'll be successful and they'll be a competitor to uh, Starbucks out there that I'll be an investor in. Sure. Let's talk about some of the down some of the stuff that's in the probably in the agreement that people need to be careful with from a hotel standpoint you've got to be careful with the changing appearance requirements of the brand yes those can be expensive and i guess anytime and i guess the franchisor through the agreement would have the right to change the appearance the the way the product is marketed they have pretty much have full control over how to market that over that product is that correct i don't work in the hotel space much we did years ago but we don't uh, at this point i would i would say yes that there have there are there are for example with marriott we talked to them earlier about them earlier they've got very high standards for ref they call it refreshing their hotels refreshing their properties they we want to maintain pips pips so they they have to make sure that they maintain high standards to be a marriott property once again, that goes back to, you know, hotels, a brick and mortar operation. Sure. And that's one of the reasons that I'm not as familiar with those requirements for those types of uh, businesses, because my clients aren't in that space typically. But right. there are there are certain requirements with some of the companies that we represent, frozen yogurt, ice cream, food, uh, that do require that even some retail operations. Now, that you have. Do you build a reserve for that? Uh, do you recommend building a reserve for those unseen potential changes that could come down the pike? I think you have to, and then the franchisor might require that mm -hmm. unless uh, they go to your bank and get the financing to be able to do it. They're going to have to have some reserves established to do that in the yeah. future. That's, that's just part of your operating expense of the business is setting reserves aside. But obviously read the agreement, start, oh, start to finish. Absolutely. And I, I have client a client just this week who asked me, he, he's uh, opening up a business we represent called College Hunks Hauling Junk. Really I've seen interesting. the trucks, I think. Yes, he's opening one over here in this area. So he had asked me, should I have an attorney review the agreement? 
Now I tell him, I can't tell you what to do, but I would say half my clients do and half my clients don't. So I would advise them to read the agreement. Most of my clients are pretty sophisticated. They know the majority of what's in there. But when, you have an, uh, when, you have a, when you're reviewing a franchise agreement, because of the regulation, the franchisor can't cut deals. They can't do one thing for Joe and one thing for Steve and one thing for Mike. It has to be pretty consistent. Right. There is some negotiating room when it comes to territory and potential rights of future uh, refer uh, rights of uh, future territory, where they might provide you the option to acquire an adjoining territory before it's sold to someone else, as long as that franchisee is performing. In terms of the general uh, agreement, there, there. If there's something that that my client is not comfortable with, with signing, and it, in some, in one case I recall, it was, uh, it was, it was contradicting different a different part of the agreement that the attorney just didn't notice and hadn't caught it before, but my client did. Then they struck that or they changed that if it's justified. But one has to just understand when you have an agreement reviewed by an attorney. Make sure that it's a franchise attorney that's doing the review because they're going to understand franchise law and what they can and cannot do. The main purpose of having a franchise reviewed is to advise my client of what, so that they know what they're signing, not so much to redline it and change it. Um, the concept of master franchisee, you know, for example, I know here in town, the Arby's are all owned by a big master franchisee who then sub-franchises from that. Right. Um, so how does that work? How would that have come to being? Those are, are typically uh, an exception. Uh, I'll give you an example of one. Uh, most people, most listeners have heard of probably ServPro. Yeah. Uh, they do remediation services, uh, insurance restoration remediation services. Well, that's got to be a tough business. It is. 24-7, it I is. would think. We're in Atlanta, so they have a they had a master franchisee. They had a master franchisee who developed this area, and he, for example, sold an entire county, or bought an entire county, and then he just recently divided that up into about eight territories. So that's what a master does. Now there's another company we represent that's uh, that I just placed a client with this down on the west coast of Florida. He bought everything from Tampa all the way down through Naples, mm -hmm. and he's going to divide that up into probably six territories down there. The, that master franchisee will be entitled to a portion of the franchise fee that those six franchise, franchises that he brings under him are going to bring. And then he'll also be entitled to future percentage of the royalties that are created in that area. The, he has to provide support. They don't just hand that to him. He has to provide support, training, and so forth for the franchisees that are in that area. I think one of the main reasons... Now, did he write that master franchise agreement or the franchisor write it for him? The franchisor wrote it for him. But they had to give their approval for him to be a master franchisee. That's correct. Okay. And he invested about uh, 250000 in that business. He'll recoup all of that in the future uh, uh, franchise fees plus future royalties where he'll get a, a potentially a very handsome return on his investment. One now, the, did he have a franchise with this company before? No. Okay. He did not. So he's going to have to run his own plus help doing, everybody else. Which he's doing. So okay. he's got one, two territories he's running right now, and he's got two other franchisees that he's bring, brought in, uh, one of which bought 
two, I have another client who he plays who bought a, a part of the territory from him. Who he acquired two territories, and I think he's got one more, maybe two that have acquired one or two more. So of the six he has, he just acquired this last fall. He's already placed what five territories. Well, wow. so he's done well. It's um, I think the reason that the franchise, or in that case, decided to do a limited number of masters, is it gave them working capital to really expand their business. So in those master franchises, I think they did six. Well, they brought in about a million and a half dollars. So that gives them a tremendous amount of a head start with working capital to get the business to sell the rest of the territories across the country by having the working capital from those first masters. This is Steve Miller. We're talking about franchising. And, um, you know, the, uh, the eyes are wide open uh, when you go into this. Now, how long did it take you? We've only got a couple more minutes, but... How long did it take you to find entrepreneur source? <laughs> Tell me about your your due diligence period. I didn't find it. It found me. Okay. So I was in franchise development for a company here in Atlanta, a company called Norrell Healthcare right. uh, years ago. Then I bought a franchise, and then I sold that franchise, and I was looking for my next thing. It was an act of God. I, there was a guy I know in Texas who introduced me to a guy here in Atlanta who had just acquired that franchise, the Entrepreneur Source. He had just received a, an offer from a Canadian bank to run an offshore insurance division in Barbados. He accepted that. So the business was dormant. He had acquired it maybe three or four months previously, and then he shelved it, and it was available. So I began to work it, and I just loved it. So yeah. I worked it for a short time, and then acquired the franchise from him. So I had I was in a unique position to be able to try it before I bought it. Oh, good, okay. Which is unusual. Mm-hmm. But I also would advise clients that, and I always ask them when they go into a, a when, they, when they go through the process and they've decided on the business that they want, that they go through a very thorough discovery process with me walking them through it to determine is that the best idea for them? And part of that includes spending a day or two with other franchisees. Learning the business a little learning bit. Learning the business, shadowing them, really learning what it's about. Uh, then do what's called a discovery day. And a discovery day is when you, it's typically one of the final steps in the process. You're invited to go to the corporate offices of the franchisee, or franchisor rather, sit down across the table from them, look them in the eye and determine if, whether or not they can do business with them, but also experience, all right, what kind of support have they, usually the franchisors will bring their support team in to talk with the prospective franchisees, explain what they do, the support they're going to receive. It's, it's not, the, the acquisition of a franchise is not a, an event, it's a process. And the goal when I take my clients through this process is I want them to obtain as much information as they can possibly obtain so they can make the most intelligent decision about whether to go into a franchise business at all, mm-hmm. and if so, which one. And the biggest advantage to my client, and I didn't have that. When I acquired TES, I didn't have that. I didn't have a coach. I, I did it on my own. I can't imagine what it would be like to go to these websites and try to figure it out on my own. It would be just, it would it's, be overwhelming. It's and mind-numbing. And, I, and I, what a lot of people do when they get to me is they've, they've said, you know, they've been doing this for weeks or months, they're getting inundated with information. What's good? What's bad? They I don't throw know. in the towel. Yeah. So what I do is I 
to my experience of better part of 20 years in franchises of one aspect or another, I navigate them through that process. But there, there's no cost to the client. Now, here's the beauty of, our, of my engagement with them. The, when I introduce a client to a business that they end up being awarded and move forward with, that company, in one case, College Hunks Hauling Junk, provides the entrepreneur source a placement fee for making that introduction, and that's how I'm compensated. Wow. So it's never a cost to the client, and I always tell them it's never an obligation. If, if they decide now isn't the right time, you know, there's a good chance in two and a half years, according to the Department of Labor, they're going to be out of work again. Right. And they're going to be back. And they might, I've had clients say, hey, you remember that conversation we had about a business? Let's, let's revisit that conversation. Or about 80% of what I, what I do now is referral. Okay. So people that I have or have worked with in the past, whether I've found a business for them or not, will refer people to me. And that's where I, that's what I love is those well, referrals. Well, listen, we've, hit the end of our slot here but steve it's really been interesting talking about this um i think what we need to do is uh, mike put him on the slot for about six weeks or so from now so we can get you back in because i want to get back more into what you may do on the front end to help a client understand what might be best for them because that would be very confusing to try to walk through but we'll, we'll get there um listen um Steve, tell them your number and how to get in touch with you. You can reach me by phone. I, I'm glad to take calls at 404-787-5897. My email address is smiller at esourcecoach.com. And I'm on LinkedIn as well. And uh, you got to tell everybody what your uh, Twitter handle is. Uh, fly like an eagle. <laughs> One. <laughs> One. Right. Yes. At firefly like an eagle one so anyway thanks so much steve i think this is uh for someone listening in i if i could someone needs everybody that wants to look at a franchise needs to hear this particular show and i appreciate you being with us today so that's our show for the day this has been on the money the number one small business show on business radio x on the money is presented by embassy national bank Follow us on Twitter at on underscore the underscore money and then the number one. And you can listen to any of our shows uh, anytime visiting onthemoney.businessradiox.com. Uh, we do have a, not audio, but video component at the Business Radio X Gwinnett YouTube channel. Uh, last week, we didn't catch that or two weeks ago, but we, we do have this one out there. So uh, please go visit. Uh, sometimes it's just better to, to watch and hear at the same time. So until next time, I'm Joe Moss with Embassy National Bank. And remember, be careful out there. By the way, there's 4,000 different opportunities in franchising you can get involved with. Um, leave fear in the back seat and stay authentic. And if you want to get into franchising, call Steve first so you don't make a mistake right up front. So that's our show for today. And we will see you next time. 